2: In Auckland, the National Coordinator for Hart, John Minto, has moved out of his home because of anonymous threats to his life. The police have confirmed that extra patrols have been watching Mr Minto's home.
0: In 1981, the head of the anti springbok tour movement had made some enemies.
1: He was often the butt of ridicule as well, and he was often in the press. Police uh, christened their batons Minto bars at one point. I said that we would organise our people to go to the edge of the law comes to a situation like the one at Hamilton, people as individuals make up their mind how far they are prepared to go. What we saw on Saturday was something which fitted completely within our policy of non-violent direct action, so you can certainly expect to see that kind of thing happen again. Yet yeah, if that is the case, you must expect further violence. I think that further violence is inevitable, yeah. John Minto of Hart talking to Ian Stewart. I think it's one of the most seminal events in New Zealand history. I'm with Stephanie Gibson, curator of contemporary life and culture at Te Papa. Everybody has a story from that time, or even if they weren't born, they know about it. School kids still study it.
0: We're about to see the helmet
1: John Minto wore on the
0: anti-tour demonstrations.
1: People really appreciate seeing objects like this, like the helmet. I think it really connects them straight away back to that time and the risks that people took and what people stood up for. I can hold your mic for you while you unbox it, if you like. Yes, okay. Now, it's actually a very light helmet. It's a beautiful blue helmet with golden stripes across the crown of it, and it's got four, oh, six ventilation holes in it. And it's just only got one bit of padding, a bit of old rubber, There's not much protection in that, Stephanie, is there? No, it's fibreglass. It's made for a scooter. So it's actually not a very robust helmet. Especially when you consider what he was using it for. Yes, and he was beaten quite a bit over the head by various uh, objects like police batons and uh, rugby supporters would have thrown beer cans and bottles at him. In 1981,
0: Police Commissioner Mike Bush was a 21-year-old trainee detective with Auckland CIB. He was put back into uniform and seconded to Hamilton for the Waikato game.
2: Myself and a few other officers were posted against the fence on um, field two, number two ground, uh, awaiting for... We knew protesters were coming to the ground, so we were um, sort of sparsely deployed across that fence line, but we were unaware of the size of that protest group. So as we stood there and they came around the corner in mass. I think there were nearly 10,000 protesters. It was a bit of an oh dear" moment. What do we do here? Of course, there were other police deployed around them, but uh, it was a bit of a, an interesting moment as we sort of swapped glances with each other and thought, hmm, this is going to be interesting. And it was. And they made it quite clear that they were coming onto the ground. And in the end, our job became take care of the people inside and get them out of the way because there's no way we're going to stop those protesters coming through the fence and onto the field.
0: It's one of those moments, isn't it? I mean, everybody knows what police do, in, in theory. You're there to, to enforce the law of the land. But in a situation like this, you really are the thin blue line.
2: Yes, we, we, we really are, and we live between a rock and a hard place. So, yes, enforce the law, but very much, as much as possible, maintain the peace between everyone.
0: And it didn't sound as though, you know, that there was <laughs> that people were invested necessarily in maintaining peace at that point.
2: No, which is a situation we often find ourselves in, so we always put our best foot forward and do what we can.
0: Having looked at that helmet, John Minto's helmet, it's, it's flimsy and there's some fairly serious dings in it, you know. And having looked at photos of the time and seeing the batons and, and seeing the injuries, the violence feels perhaps disproportionate. You know, going up against people wearing scooter helmets and rolled up tubes of cardboard as body armour.
2: The order was given to the Red Squad to stand by for rapid action. Only the second time the order has been given during today's protest. You
1: should be picking your shot now.
2: No, go! You should be picking your shot, Red Squad. Make sure it counts. As the orders were given, the protesters broke into a haka as they taunted the riot squad. Yes, there was a, there was a lot of anger and aggression between um, between both parties. And as I reflect on that and think about how we manage these days, we've learnt a lot uh, from 1981 and the way we manage any public order event or any protest situation. And we, we have to remember that... In these situations, we're the professionals in the relationship. We're the ones who need to practice patience and discipline and have respect for those people. So these days, any use of force is absolutely a last resort.
0: What did the police think about their performance? What was the feeling like among you guys afterwards? Where was morale?
2: So it really damaged the relationship between the police and a lot of the public. So we had some public support and we had public opposition to the way we acted. So it was a difficult time for everyone in the organisation with our relationship with the public, which is absolutely central and critical to us. So it took took a long time to build bridges and heal those wounds.
0: And famously, of course, John Minto said that when Nelson Mandela and the other convicts on Robben Island heard that the match had been cancelled, what was it? The sun came out.
1: Yeah, it was as if the sun had come out, because they saw that... People were totally on their side and were willing to get hurt for it. People took a a really big risk during that period. 1,500 people were arrested.
2: You just have to admire those central leaders in the protest movement for standing up for what they believed in because they really did change the course of history. And, you know, they were really courageous. You know, they didn't just put their values on the line, they put their their bodies on the line for it as well and it had a massive impact but that sort of occurred to most of us after the event
0: Social change when it happens it's not it's not straightforward it can be messy, it can be emotional
1: Absolutely and a lot of uh, the talk at the time was about racism in our own backyard, you know it's all very well uh, fighting against racism in other countries but what about here in New Zealand so it was a real opportunity to talk about ourselves at the same time as talking about South Africa
0: was produced by me, Noel McCarthy and John Daniel for Bird of Paradise Productions for Te Papa in association with Radio New Zealand. Our EP was Tim Watkin, engineered by Andre Upston. Thanks to Victoria Kelly for our theme. You can listen to every episode on iTunes and Spotify or head to RNZ's podcast page to subscribe.